we're at a time now which is, is a transition. All these people feeling for the first time, oh, we can win. Let's focus on what, what we can do here and now to change things. And I think one of the reasons why people love community energy is because it helps build community, it builds connection. You know where your electrons are coming from, you know the story of them. You're listening to Voices of Community Energy, a podcast about a bottom-up transition to a new energy system. About how people power can lead to locally owned renewable power. About people who are taking the power back and generating their own energy. I'm Tom Knockholds. And I'm Bean Crane. And we'll be your guides through this first series of stories about community energy. Hello listeners, Um, thanks for joining us again. We're doing uh, our second explainer into blockchain technology um, with with this uh, episode um, and absolutely thrilled that we were able to get Scott Kessler from LO3 based out of Brooklyn joining us uh, to share his thoughts around blockchain um, and to tell us what their organization's doing with trials in, in, in New York. Um, Remember that uh, Voices of Community Energy is is a regular series of podcasts um, about community energy. Um, please tell your th- friends about us. We're looking to grow the audience um, and bring out more stories. In the meantime, we hope you enjoyed this short explainer episode um, about blockchain. Thank you for thank you for joining uh, joining us on the podcast. Um, can we start off by can, can you tell me who you are, the organization you work for, and, and where you are right now? Yeah, so my name is Scott Kessler. I am the director of business development for a startup company called LO3 Energy. And we are located in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, so LO3 Energy is uh, you know, a interesting new energy and technology company. We're trying to basically use new technology including blockchain to enable more choice in the electric grid and allow folks to basically have more control uh, in how they consume energy and actually how they use energy that might be produced on site okay wonderful so can you tell me a little bit about what blockchain is in sort of very simple terms and why why it's important to the energy space For sure. So blockchain is the same underlying technology as Bitcoin, which is really the main thing that people have heard of when they think of blockchain. But they're really two different concepts. So, you know, blockchain is to Bitcoin just like sort of tissues are to Kleenex. You know, it's one type of it, but there's much more than that out there. Um, The underlying technology behind blockchain is basically the capability for data to be shared among many users without a central system. And it sounds sort of pretty simple, but it has some big impacts. So if you think about the finance industry, where the first applications of blockchain were, this was the ability for folks to send money to one another without having to ask a bank, you know, does Scott have a bank account? Is he allowed to send it to the recipient? Does he have enough money? Has he sent this money to anyone else previously? Um, usually we've used central systems to address that problem. Now through blockchain, basically you have, you know, hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of participants on a network 
and we can basically ask everyone to verify the validity of each transaction. So instead of going to the bank, we now ask every other participant, um, in your shared version of this ledger, does Scott have the money? Is the person Scott sending it to another member of the network? And are, you know, does it basically meet all the qualifying criteria? So you know, if you apply those same basic fundamentals but to the electric grid, now you can imagine lots of different users, all who are producing energy, consuming energy, maybe involved in some other energy products like power quality, but you know, they have something they're either looking to buy or sell, and they can do that interaction directly without a utility or other company needing to be in the middle to validate that transaction. Uh, so it really results in the ability for us to create these sort of peer-to-peer energy marketplaces where folks can buy energy directly with one another and where we can actually begin to have an electric grid that is governed by those marketplaces as opposed to simply running the grid and then paying for it a month or six months later, for example. Okay, great. So there's a lot going on there, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm hearing things like distributed ledger, um, disintermediation, so cutting out the middleman, and and I guess the key thing is is really a, a, a new way of enabling peer to peer energy trading. Uh, can we make this a little bit more real? What 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 is LO3 doing right now? Can you give us a tangible yeah. example? So, what we are doing right now is developing a number of projects around the world. Uh, our first project and the one that is sort of our flagship demonstration is the Brooklyn microgrid. And this is a project where folks in the Park Slope and Gowanus areas of Brooklyn are actually buying and selling uh, local clean energy with one another, demonstrating that there is a sort of viable market for local clean energy in this area, as well as sort of demonstrating, you know, the types of roles that utilities and retailers can play in this world. Um, you know, what we're not trying to do here is create a new utility. There's always going to be an entity that owns the wires, controls the wires, needs to have that physical presence. And they also need to manage the marketplace. You know, someone needs to set the rules and determine, you know, who is a member of each market and are they connected to the electric grid? And we think that's still a role utilities can have, but it's sort of a reshaping of the way they make money and what their role is in this system. So instead of the central actor that controls everything, they are really the one who manages the physical assets and maintains the market. But it's the responsibility of all the people, just like the people here in Brooklyn who are buying and selling energy with one another, to determine where do you want to buy energy from based on different preferences you might have. Okay, that sounds fantastic. And can you then take that down to the next level? Perhaps, perhaps can you tell me an example of what this looks like from the perspective of of one of the households participating or one of the buildings participating in this Brooklyn trial? Yeah. So for a consumer, someone who's buying energy, um, it basically we have a mobile app where they can set their price preferences and their specific energy supply choices. So they can go in and say, do you want, you know, do you want to exclude power from coal or natural gas and, It'll tell you the price implications of that. And then you can also say for local clean energy, how much are you willing to pay for that and sort of submit a bid? And we can sort of gather all those bids together 
and run that basically like an auction because we have prosumers who are selling us their power and we can use that sort of amount of energy that goes up and down with the sun as well as those bids we just collected from the consumers and make a real-time marketplace there. So the prosumers should be getting a premium price point and the consumers are getting local clean energy. So they're getting the ability to buy energy from their neighbors and have the environmental impact and the economic impact of their energy spend actually stay within the community um, and not have it go to some company that they're not familiar with. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost starts to sound to me a little bit like buying energy from a local farmer's market, you know, local, more local-based production, keeping the, keeping the money within the community. Um, and yes, it may be a premium product, but, but, but certain consumers are, are clearly willing to buy those, those products because they see that additional value. Yeah, it's really, you know, and it's one of the reasons we are operating this community. I mean, this community has the Park Slope Food Co-op, which is one of the first and largest food co-ops in the United States. It has about, I think, 40,000 members or so. And, you know, it's really where farm to table has taken off. These concepts of circular economy really resonate in this community. So, you know, we don't, you know, we think this is something that could work in a lot of communities worldwide. And eventually, you know, it doesn't have to be just in these sort of tight knit communities, but could be in wider spread geographic territories once the sort of business models are proven out a little further. Mm. Oh, I've just let our, I've just let our conversation down a path where we might be criticised. This, this is just something for, you know, r- rich, you know, organic organic types with sort of more money than sense. What what can you say to to to, to, to counter that idea? So we really are focused on you know transactions and operations for the entire electric grid, which means everyone participating in it. And so you can't just have a system that works for folks who have enough money to buy their own solar panels and can afford to buy premium energy. So what we are really trying to do is come up with new ways to engage with low to moderate income customers and figure out, you know, how do you get them involved in a system like this? One of the things we're doing is looking at uh, community solar and bringing down the sort of minimum buy-in to own a share in a energy asset. So now in the community here, we're trying to enable it so that folks can spend 25 or $50 and get the proportionate amount of energy output from a system allocated in their name. So while up front, you know, there's not a long cost, this is an investment that will continue to pay back over time. And so you can allow people to start to make investments in their energy ecosystems when they've really never had a choice or the ability to participate. Uh, We also are really focused on the idea of creating revenue streams for them out of turning off energy. So if local clean energy is really, you know, a premium product, uh, one of the things we'd like to test is whether or not buying energy reduction, which in terms of the physical grid is the same thing as generation, just wants to stay balanced. If we can see, does buying energy reduction from your neighbors, is that something people be willing to pay more for and potentially create a revenue stream there for uh, low and moderate income customers who might be able to sell their ability to turn off devices? So, you know, we think there's a whole suite of new products and services that comes from this. It's not just buying and selling of local clean energy at a premium. Great, great. All right, that makes sense. Um, can we go back to Brooklyn? I know that uh, the, the New York and Brooklyn area is, is really um, is really interesting place for energy because of the New York... Re- re- 
um, renewing the energy vision, the the Rev project, and 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 that project certainly had its origins in is it Hurricane Sandy and the the, the flooding that resulted and communities being without power for well very many days, some of them. Uh, what relationship? What relationship does LO3 have to the Rev? And just making making a note that right now Hurricane Irma has just made landfall in in the southern states of the U.S. and has wreaked havoc across across the uh, across the Atlantic on the way through. Yeah, so the there's a very strong connection between what we're doing. Um, really, what we think of this energy community as is a community microgrid. And I use the term community microgrid both to talk about communities that have physical resiliency. They have redundant electrical systems so that they can stay connected in the event of an outage. I also use it to refer to communities that actually don't. Uh, and it's more of a virtual microgrid. So sort of this connection between people who are all still on the same public system. We think this trading works in both scenarios. So for certain communities like here in Brooklyn that have been hit hard by Hurricane Sandy, there's really a good rationale why you might want to include resiliency in that. For other communities, you know, especially those in you know, other countries that really don't have outages to the degree we do here on the eastern coast of the United States, maybe microgrids really don't make that much sense. So spending the money on a redundant electrical system uh, really is never going to pay itself back. We think what we want to do is focus on what's that community energy network doing 99% of the time? And if we're also able to contribute to the 1% of the time where it has to operate in the island mode or microgrid isolating itself, well, then that's great. Um, you know, we think, but having a business model that works 99% of the time, allowing this trading between folks, allowing these new products and services, we think that's going to be way more interesting than simply working on only physical microgrids that really don't need to be run most of the time. Sounds like, um, sounds like a... Um... A, re- a really interesting vision of the future. What what else would you say your your prediction of of where this is all going to end up would look like? So maybe tell me in ten or ten years time, what's what's peer to peer energy trading going to look like? Where will your company be? Yeah, so I think you know it's really marketplaces for a whole lot of products. I think everyone has some small amount of value that they're selling onto the grid, whether or not they're aware of it, because folks maybe have, uh, you know, contracted with a third party company like Tesla or, you know, Nest to do this for them. But, you know, I think everyone is sort of constantly switching back and forth between a prosumer and a consumer. Um, And, you know, we are really all the market participants all the utilities are doing is really sitting at the middle of it and making the rules and then taking a step back and letting the markets dictate what is the most cost efficient way to do things. And, you know, really figuring out what's the best way to do pricing for using their network right now. You know, we pay for the grid regardless of who you're transacting with, and it doesn't take into account how efficient the transaction is. But, you know, we think in the future, what happens is the transaction between you and your neighbor is going to be a lot cheaper than the transaction between you and someone across town because you're making use of more of the network. So we really think it's new, you know, new um, pricing schemes like that and new markets that are going to really fundamentally change things and provide all sorts of new opportunities for folks to really turn their homes into, you know, little money centers of energy. All right, Scott. Well, thank you very much for your insights and your time. And um, 
good good luck with it all. It sounds sounds really exciting what you're doing there in with with the company and the and the trial in Brooklyn and, and elsewhere. So um, good luck. Thanks so much. Yeah, it was great being here. Okay, we hope you enjoyed um, joining us to um, hear about LO3's exciting plans in Brooklyn. Um, please do tell us what you think. You can join the, follow our Facebook page. Um, it's simply facebook.com forward slash voce.net.au. Um, you can find all our episodes on the website with the same domain name, voce.net.au. And um, please get in touch with us and let us know if you know someone who has a story to tell or, or you have an interesting um, perspective on community energy that you'd like to bring to the light. Um, we'll be bringing you more stories soon from some communities in Australia, so please stand by.